Welcome to season three of This Is Your Life in Silicon Valley, a podcast about the Bay Area, technology, and culture. I'm your host, Sunil Rajaraman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Yasha Kekas-Wolf. Hey, um, this is Your Life in Silicon Valley, the podcast, and today is actually a pretty special day for us. We've been doing the podcast now for over a year. We're in our third season. We've had an amazing set of guests. And today, tonight, is our first live podcast recording. So we're actually sitting in a room right now that feels like it has air conditioning, which is very different than the closet that Cindy and I usually lock ourselves in as we're doing interviews. And we've got about, looks like seven or 8,000 people that are here with us, <laughs> which is pretty amazing. So thank you to everybody here. And we happen to be live from the Battery, which is an absolutely amazing membership club and a beautiful space here in San Francisco. So we're pretty excited, right, Sunil? Yep, and we have a great guest today. Who's the guest, Sunil? Mayor Libby Shaw of Oakland. We are incredibly excited and feel very privileged to have Mayor Schaff with us this evening. We're going to be a little bit of a view into the sausage making of a podcast. So typically what happens is we just start into a conversation and we have the conversation all the way through and at the end of it, Sunil and I get together and we record a front and an end. Tonight, we're actually just going to start straight in and we're going to have the conversation all the way through and then we're going to wrap up and Sunil and I will actually do a little bit of work after this fact before we launch the podcast on Monday. That's what the target is for us. Um, so we're not going to belabor with introductions too much, although we are incredibly, incredibly lucky to have you here tonight, Lily. So thank you very much for making time out of your day to come visit with us. Great. I'm happy to be here. Is this, uh, how many podcasts have you done? Just order a magazine. Um, probably fewer than 10 and more than two. Fewer than Okay. Okay. We're not the first. <laughs> well, we try. Um, so we have really only two rules, two questions, one rule. One rule is there are no cuts, so we just talk all the way through. Two questions that we always ask, and the rest of the conversation is going to flow. So the first question we want to start out with has everything to do with you. Our podcast is all about the culture of the Bay Area, and most of the people that are in the Bay Area are not actually from the Bay Area. Myself and Sunil are actually both transplants from different parts of the country. I was born in Saratoga. Well, <laughs> but really, yeah, okay, fine. Um, I give them that a little bit. Um, Saratoga might be another part of the country. I kind of feel like it oh, is. Oh, burn. Uh, it's <laughs> Already, so not getting off to a strong start here. No, it's true. It's so far south, the water goes in the other direction. So, so for us, one of the things that's most interesting is learning about where you spent your time growing up. And in particular, what brought you to the Bay Area. We happen to know that you grew up here. Um, so let's change the question up a little bit. You grew up here in the Bay Area. Talk about your life growing up. And really, one question on top of that. At what point in your life did you say, I knew... I was going to be the mayor of Oakland. <laughs> was it like six years old? No, it was like five years ago. Um, <laughs> actually, it was like on election day four years ago <laughs> when I knew. Um, no, it, being born and raised in Oakland is so much of like who I am, what my values are. It absolutely drives me in so many ways. And I always say that Oakland is not just a place on a map. It is values. It stands for things. It's a place where social movements have launched, you know, everyone from the Black Panthers to the Hells Angels. Um, it's a place that believes in protest. Uh, and it also has this gritty authenticity that uh, I love so much and I fight every day to preserve. It's full of artists and creative energy. Uh, it still has a working class ethic. 
um, but it's going through an amazing moment of change. But first and foremost, Oakland has always been hella proud of its diversity. That is something that I grew up just knowing that I lived in a very special place. And, um, you know, I always remember this moment. I was a Girl Scout growing up, and I went on this international encampment, and I was a little disappointed. I'd ask people, like, oh, I'm from Oakland. Do you know where that is? And not everybody would know until I brought up our sports teams. You know, sports always locate people. Until somebody said to me, oh, Oakland, aren't you afraid to live there? And I was too young to fully understand kind of the insidiousness of institutionalized racism. But I knew from that moment that that judgment made me angry. That my city um, was beautiful because of its diversity uh, and was a beautiful place to live that had its urban challenges, but had so much strength. And so um, just lifting up the beauty of my city has really been a lifelong passion. I think that's a, a super nice way to talk about Oakland, but I wonder, has that always been your view of Oakland? Was there ever a point where you're like, nah, I think I'm ready to go somewhere else? No. Never. <laughs> no, I went away for school, partly because Oakland was full of distractions, but um, you know, I kept on always coming back. Like, I just couldn't be away for long. I, I, love, I love my city, I believe in it. So I'm really interested in this question of, okay, we all have jobs. We all have jobs, or I think everybody, or most people have jobs. But you wake up, you're mayor of Oakland, okay? One of the top 50 you know, metropolitan areas in the United States. Just very tactically, what does that look like? Do you have a, a group WhatsApp with the other top 49 mayors? Are you chatting with each other about problems? What do you, what do you wake up and actually do? Um, you know, I have these mornings um, where as I'm driving to work, like maybe I, I'll check my texts before I go in or I'll check uh, newspaper headlines, I'll get some calls on my way to work, and, and, and I like to say there are days where by the time I've arrived at work, I've had three flaming bags of shit thrown in <laughs> my window. So that's part of being the mayor of any city. Uh, every day it's a new adventure, and you know, I, I run a police department, uh, I'm in charge of the road conditions, I mean there are a lot of challenges, uh, places for, for missteps that are part of my daily life. But is there like a support group for mayors? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, um, yeah, my first support group is my family. Um, I have two very darling children and an amazing partner who is just an advanced version of what a man should be. Um, I have an incredible team around me in the mayor's office. Um, and that, you know, I never make big decisions alone. But yes, mayors do talk to one another, uh, and particularly in times of crisis. Um, you know, I reached out to Bill Peduto, the mayor of Pittsburgh, um, with the, the horrible shooting in the synagogue um, as someone who's gone through um, a massive loss of life uh, tragedy myself. Or many mayors reached out to me uh, in the wake of the ghost ship fire. So yes, we do take care of one another. We tell our stories that only we can get. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we lean on each other. So scare us a little bit here. So we all know the scariest thing that can happen with our commander in chief, a decision could, could lead to drastic ramifications. Let's just say you could decided to make the biggest and worst decisions possible for Oakland that could affect as many of us in the Bay Area. 
what would that decision be? Like, what, what's, the, what's the scariest thing here? Uh, dropping the nuclear bomb on Oakland. That would, that would be bad. Uh, it's probably not out of the question with this particular commander in chief. Um, we've, we've definitely had our words with one another um, through Twitter and through the media. Um, you may remember when he was running for president, he actually said that Oakland was one of the most dangerous places on the planet. Uh, and I was very shocked when I looked up at the TV screen in the airport waiting area and saw my tweet response, which was that no, Donald Trump's mouth is the most dangerous place <laughs> in America. Are you not, you, are you a social media person? Or? Uh, you know, I was afraid you were gonna ask me this question. Um, social media and I have, have a challenged relationship. I think we need a little couples counseling. Um, you know, when you are a politician, social media is, is a very, very angry, upsetting place. Uh, and I mean that in a couple ways. One, it's really frustrating as someone who is trying to resuscitate any faith that you all might have remaining in elected officials, particularly in this day and age. And when there's a lot of mistruth on social media, it's very frustrating. But um, even more than that, um, particularly because of my little battle with the president and my um, very outspoken position on being a sanctuary city, of which I'm very proud, and really wanting to uh, protect and make feel safe every member of my community, regardless of where they came from or how they got here. Um, I've had people post pictures of my children on social media and say that they hope an illegal kills them. Um, the, those are things that are really disturbing, and I, I will be honest with you, I give elected officials advice that as a mental health um, gift to yourself, stay off social media. I think that's good advice in general. So um, let's talk about Prop C. Your perspective as the mayor of Oakland on San Francisco's voters' decision on Prop C. Ooh, you're asking me to wade into another mayor's political Absolutely. territory. We're, we're on the San Francisco side today. <laughs> um, listen, I, I think it is um, very difficult for anyone who lives in the Bay Area to take a position against more resources for homelessness, period. This is the moral crisis of our times in, in so many ways. Homelessness is the evidence of failure of just about every major system that we have. And we have got to feel ashamed that in a region that is so wealthy that we allow our fellow men and women to live like this. Now that said, obviously as someone who's in government, there's a lot of devil in the details. And how those resources get allocated are really good questions. But um, the need for more resources, I believe, is clear. You, you've come at it from a different angle, though. You introduced a program last year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it was uh, the, the uh, Keep Oakland Housed yep. uh, project. Can you talk a little bit about 
a little bit about that? Sure. Um, and let me start with the proposition that I believe to really change the world and to do it at some reasonable amount of time, um, public-private partnerships are the way to do it. Because government was designed to be stable and predictable, which means we don't change quickly. We don't respond well and we don't take risks. Whereas the private sector is willing to do all those things. And yet, no matter how much beautiful money nonprofits like Battery Charged or Battery, what, what was this called? Powered. Powered, Battery Powered, raises, you can't touch everybody. You need your public systems, you need the government to do its job because we touch everyone. And that is where you have fundamental transformation. And so um, Keep Oakland House was really a recognition that while we address the housing shortage, while we address triaging people who are on our streets, we have got to go upstream and prevent homelessness from happening in the first place. And I am pleased to report that the results have been spectacular. In our first six months, we kept just under 500 households from becoming homeless. And the average cost was $3,000. And what I'm talking about is someone who's housed, but something happens in their lives that interrupts their ability to pay their rent. Um, one story was uh, a, dis a developmentally disabled adult who was actually the breadwinner of the household, uh, taking care of his very, very elderly mother. Uh, their washing machine broke, and he could not figure out how to navigate keeping his work uniform clean without a home washing machine. He got disciplined, he, he um, was sent home from work, and that made them fall behind in their bills. Um, so not only did Keep Oakland Housed catch them up, keep them from being evicted, provide them free legal assistance, but bought them a washing machine. And also provide some case management to make sure that they could remain stably housed in that situation. That's just one story of 500 in our first six months. Is there, some, is there a city or a place we can point to outside of the Bay Area that's doing a good job handling this problem? Uh, I feel like every pundit has a take, just like everybody has a take on how to fix Facebook and social media right now, right? That's the, that's the latest one. But you have so many smart people weighing in on this subject. It's the journalists, it's, you know, it's the mayors, it's everybody. Is, has, does anyone have it figured out or more right than, than somewhere else? I think the best examples are outside of the United States. Um, we have cities, particularly in Northern Europe, where homelessness does not exist. Housing, shelter is a right and the government invests in that. Just like we invest in roads and a sewer system and all sorts of public systems, housing is considered public infrastructure. And I think that is the type of mindset that we need to start shifting towards. I'm gonna shift gears a little bit. How much do we dislike the Raiders in here? <laughs> <laughs> is my friend from the 49ers still here? <laughs> um, you know, uh, I, I'm very bitter. Uh, at the Raiders. I, as you know, born and raised in Oakland, uh, stood in the rain at their last Super Bowl victory parade when I was in high school, only to see them leave for Los Angeles the very next year. Um, got them back at a price that was really unreasonable, 
and now they're screwing us again. So I'm very bitter. Uh, we made a very, very um, reasonable bid to keep them here with Ronnie Lott and a group of privately financed um, folks that were going to help us build that stadium. Um, and I, I believe that the NFL definitely deserves to be sued uh, for really abusing fan loyalty, abusing the the brand where uh, a team and the place that it represents are inextricably linked, especially when you're talking about Oakland and the Raiders. Yeah. Well, you talked about it earlier on how sports sometimes are the waypoint for how we recognize where people are or, or can help people relate to us. So what do you do next? I, mean, I know the NFL is not the only sports team that anybody cares about, uh, or the Raiders aren't. But no, and I think, think about the NFL is engaged in a little bit of questionable decision-making lately. Um, <laughs> Just a little. Some other topics or issues. Um, so I'm working um, very, very well with our baseball team. Yeah. Um, and we're very excited about a waterfront ballpark right next to Jack London Square where the ferry lands. You San Franciscos can just get your cocktails on on the ferry, arrive at an A's game. You'll be so happy. And the views are spectacular. So that is actually proceeding extremely well. I think the A's... Um, Dave Cavill is like the Energizer Bunny, um, has a great attitude, really is listening to the community about what the community needs out of this project. And then the Warriors. Um, I actually take great offense when people put the Warriors and the Raiders in the same sentence um, to say, oh, both your teams are leaving you. Uh, the Raiders are leaving us, absolutely. The Warriors are moving their building, but the team is still ours. Um, they've always been the Golden State Warriors. In fact, they originally played in San Francisco before they built their arena in Oakland. And their commitment to staying involved in the community has been unequivocal, and I think you're going to see some exciting announcements to really demonstrate that they mean it. What's, and what, what's your overall take then? So the, the net of it, is there going to be an impact with the Warriors moving and you know, stadium? Like what is the actual net impact to Oakland? How will it be felt? to the community? Oh, well, the dirty truth is that sports teams do not necessarily economically benefit cities. Sorry, Rel, I don't know if he's still here. Um, it's, it's, it's one of these like little dirty secrets. Um, we actually lose money every time the Raiders play a game in Oakland because of how the lease and the game day expenses um, are arranged. Now, again, I believe that civic pride has a value. So I don't just look at it in terms of dollars and cents. But um, I believe that Oakland, um, with a new A's ballpark, very exciting at the waterfront, still the home of the phenomenal Golden State Warriors. I mean, how fun is it to watch these guys play? Um, it's probably I, a bad time to say that I'm a Cavs fan. Uh, <laughs> uh, High school was Ohio for me, I'm sorry. Yep. 2016, 3-1. Yeah. Yes, sorry. I'm sorry, yeah. too. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, I think that it, it also makes room for people to get more excited about um, emerging sports. Um, let's have some women's soccer teams in Oakland. Let's um, also uh, evolve around what we consider um, the basis of our pride. How do you think about the space that the stadiums have been in? Like, what do you want to do there? Oh, at the Coliseum? Yeah. Oh, you know, um, I'm really excited about what the, the A's have put forward as a potential development that really is much more community serving, um, a lot more housing, affordable housing, um, more businesses, and uh, their design 
kind of uh, leaves the ball field there, so it's almost like a historic relic. We can all come worship at it and think about all the amazing things that happened there. But um, they've designed something that really addresses the threat of sea level rise. And their commitment to environmental justice has been impressive to me. Um, and their interest in having a world-class youth sports academy on that site, so that you are still having a sports use, but instead of high-paid professionals, you actually are nurturing the next generation of athletes from East Oakland. That excites me. I want to stay on the subject of, of moving a bit, and speaking of moving, uh, so you're probably seeing an influx of a lot of tech companies and, you know, uh, especially with the boom here, lack of affordability in San Francisco. What's the city's relationship like with tech at the moment? And, you know, I, I would just love to hear your take on, on tech culture and what, what you feel about it. Yeah, there's a lot of tech bashing going on right now in the Bay Area. There's a lot of fear about tech companies moving into Oakland. You know, we had Uber coming and people were freaking out about that and then they changed their mind and now we have Square coming. Um, when Uber announced that they were moving to Oakland, you know, I sent a, a very well-publicized letter to them, which was basically, welcome, we're excited you're coming, and now let us tell you what our expectations are for you to behave well. Um, and so I think that is for us all to really be clear with companies how you come into a community, how you really own the fact that tech does not look like America, that the board members, the highest paid employees do not reflect the diversity of my city and that you have an obligation to do something about that and that there are ways that you can support the community um, other than you know buying a, a ticket to a rubber chicken dinner. Um, you can think about what products are you purchasing? What services are you using? Are these companies that are owned by people of color, do they pay a living wage or are they worker cooperatives? Do they have some other type of social impact? Um, I will give this to Uber. When they were thinking of moving in, we introduced them to a great Oakland company called Red Bay Coffee. Uh, it's a workers co cooperative. It um, hires almost exclusively formerly incarcerated workers and they make damn good coffee. And Lord knows, those of you who work in software probably need to stay caffeinated. Um, so that was a good story, and even when they decided to not come to Oakland, they actually continued their contract with Red Bay. Um, I believe it's still in place today. It's created a lot of great jobs. And that type of thought in what you're buying, who you're, who you're hiring, uh, I think is really important for tech to embrace. I am still really hopeful and optimistic about the role of technology in solving our problems. What company do you want to have moved to Oakland? Hmm. Um, one that, that actually embraces our values. And that could be uh, any number of companies and it could be one that I haven't heard of yet. Yeah, no, one of the, I mean, we've, we've done a lot of these interviews now and it is a recurring theme that we hear, a criticism of, of tech is just lack of civic responsibility. Here we are in San Francisco and uh, we sometimes don't even go to the, to the local restaurants because lunch is served in the cafeteria. Uh, and so is there an example of a, of a person or a company that you could you know, point out to that, that is a, 
you know, that is consistent with Oakland's values that you think is doing a good job within sure. the community? Well, and Pandora, you know, started in Oakland, has never had a cafeteria very intentionally wants their employees to go out and support the local mom-and-pop restaurants and bars and boy we're getting a lot of good bars in Oakland um, so I think that that has always been part of their value from the get-go and then um, I gotta give it to Mark Benioff and Salesforce um, you know his very intentional uh, analysis of the gender uh, pay gap uh, his actually wading into politics, uh, his going into Indiana and saying, if you do not remove this homophobic legislation, I'm pulling my company out of your state. Like, that is brave. And he threw down on Prop C. Um, his, the fact that the, was he, like, Salesforce was gonna be like the sixth highest taxpayer under Prop C. The fact that he put millions of dollars into actually getting it passed, that, that is pretty phenomenal. I, um, I think that that type of attitude that you have a responsibility not just to your shareholders, but to your stakeholders. That your, that your company cannot succeed if it is in a community that is failing. That is um, the type of thinking that we need. Yeah, I know we touched on this earlier, but on the other side of that was Jack Dorsey. Uh, and if, uh, if memory serves, and you know, I gotta fact check this, just you know, let me edit after Tyler. Um, but, but London Breed was, Mayor Breed was on the Jack side of the argument, was she not? Did you have a conversation with her about that? Um, after the election was over, I did. You know, it's, I, again, I think the devil is in the details. Sometimes you can be for the cause or the issue, but against the specifics about how you have to address it. And I think that that was her distinction. After the passage of the measure, she's actually fought to try and get it implemented. So uh, I think she's come around on that issue. And again, we um, all have got to work closely together. And I think you're going to see a lot more regional conversations around tackling homelessness. Sam, London, and I are constantly in contact. But to really look at the Bay Area, because People often don't just stay within one jurisdictional boundary. Uh, we really have to see our interconnectedness and our interdependence. I think uh, Benioff's like the darling, the political darling of the Bay Area as a tech CEO. We actually heard, was it you, Samil, that said that he's thrown his hat ring for the 2020 election also? <laughs> this is, this is, yeah, no. no oh, I, who's not running for president? Yeah, right? Yeah, like, right? I you wanted to say something. No, I'm just kidding. Do you have an announcement to make, by the way? No, I feel no, no, like. No. I'm no? all okay. about Kamala. Kamala, Kamala, yeah, Kamala. Yeah, I love right. Kamala Harris. Just making sure, because we've heard. We've she's heard my hometown girl. I mean, there's rumors. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you mentioned bars and restaurants in Oakland in particular. Yeah, I thought I heard I was going to have a glass of wine at this well, podcast. Come on. <laughs> so Neil and I like to keep it very straight and steady with our glasses of water. Um, in, in all seriousness, though, top two restaurants. You're kind of every week, I want to go to this restaurant in Oakland, and you're, this is a special event. I want to take my family out for a nice meal. Top two restaurants in Oakland. You know, it's really bad to make the mayor like choose favorites. Yeah. Ooh, well, they're I mean, you're just trendsetting. You're not favorites. choosing a favorite. Just trendsetting. Why don't, why don't I just give examples of the two most recent <laughs> restaurants that I've mm, eaten at? Right. Okay. 
Uh, my favorite business lunch restaurant is a wine bar called Downtown Wine Merchants. That's because it's right across from City Hall. But it actually has really good food. And on in, on Wednesdays, um, Maria makes homemade enchiladas that will knock your socks off. And then uh, for a more fancy dinner, I recently took my former chief of staff, Tamika Moss, out to Duende, which is a Spanish fair. It's in the old Floral Depot building. That's this beautiful old Art Deco building. And it's right in the heart of all the bars and scene that's going on in Uptown, on Telegraph, right across from the Fox Theater. Mm. Those sound like favorite restaurants to me. Thanks for picking the favorites. Uh, I so. have no favorites. I love them all. So Mayor Schaff, I have a confession to make. So I do this thing. Okay, so we live, uh, we live in San Mateo now, my family. And I go on Redfin. I do this once a week, okay? And I look at where I can move. And I look at real estate in the Bay Area, and I have this negotiation with myself as to, okay, I could still live in Co Oakland and reasonably commute to San Francisco if I had to, et cetera. Does anyone else do that? I'm curious. Just by show of hands. Everyone does that. Okay. All right. So give us, give us the sell on the East Bay for those of us who don't live there. Just if you had to sell Oakland or the East Bay. Oh, man. Um, I have never seen a city that has a more inspiring mix of raw nature. Like if you like nature, like redwood forests and streams and hiking up in the hills, that there is a ton of nature in Oakland. And yet you are in the middle of one of the most vibrant, hopping, hip, urban centers in the country. And the international flavor, I mean, again, Oakland just uh, like last month was named the most racially and ethnically diverse city in America. And it's not just that though that's the only kind of diversity. Uh, it's diversity of genders, gender identities, family compositions. I mean, just it's all there. And, and, and everyone walks around the lake. Like just all of Oakland's, it's like it's like a giant community living room around Lake Merritt, and yet you're in the middle of a city. You have all the culture and arts and amazing food, and it is so much less expensive than San Francisco. <laughs> and the public transit is amazing. I just popped over here on BART. I take BART all the time. People, it's so funny. People are like, "Aren't you the mayor?" And I, you take public transportation? I said, yes, I'm not stupid. <laughs> take me twice as long to drive. Um, so, you know, the access is great. The vibe is great. But I think one thing, the diversity is great. Um, but it really, it's really beautiful. Just beautiful. I love it. We're, you know, we're getting close on time. Well, so we got a couple more questions for you. All right, bring it. So in, in the Bay Area, as the mayor of Oakland, what is the topic that you want this audience, so mostly San Franciscans, it look like for our listeners, maybe about a quarter raised their hands as they commuted in from Oakland here to San Francisco. So I'm gonna assume that the rest of you that are here in our audience are from San Francisco in particular. What's the one topic that you want San Franciscans to know about that's important to Oakland? Institutionalized racism. Um, I think it is something that we don't notice enough of. And when we look at our housing policies, when we look at homelessness, when we look at the criminal justice system, um, there are 
forms of oppression that have just been baked into the system. And I think we have got to be brave and talk about it, uh, talk about its impacts and start uh, unraveling it. I want to I want to talk a little bit about uh, what something that you just went through the teacher strike, and thematically how that this is something that seems to be happening across the country. There's Oakland, Los Angeles. I think it was Colorado, Denver, uh, West Virginia, Kentucky. What's going on, and how is this going to play out? And what do you think you know the long term solution is? Is are we going to see more of this? Like what's What's, what's going on? Yeah, yeah, no, and on a personal level, the strike was really hard for me, not just as the mayor, um, but I'm a graduate of the Oakland Public Schools, and I have two kids in Oakland Public Schools, and there is only so much Fortnite that a 13-year-old can play <laughs> in a week. Uh, so I, I don't was, know, I have a young kid, that, I don't think there's a limit of time. <laughs> that they can I'm just like, please, dear God, let us settle the strike, because I cannot take this boy in my house anymore. Um, <laughs> But seriously, um, one, I, I think it's, it's telling that professions that have been traditionally dominated by women are traditionally underpaid. So let's just put that out there. Thank you for a little snapping out there. Um, secondly, we have to, as a, as a state, say that education, public education, is worth investing in. And yes, that means reforming Prop 13. That means changing the way that our tax structure works. And so it, it pained me because there was so much anger between the, the officials of the district and the elected school board and the teachers. Um, and really, the enemy is much bigger than what is inside Oakland. And clearly, this, this trend shows that this is not an Oakland-specific problem. It is much bigger than that. Yeah, and cost of, cost of living, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. I think I, I read somewhere what it's uh, now, even so in San Francisco, it's well over 3,000 to run a one-bedroom uh, in Oakland. It's sort of approaching that. I mean, is there, I mean, what, is there, a, yeah, again, they're just kind of struggling with what is the long-term fix? And well, I'll talk about two things. I mean, one, it's time that we all take responsibility for the fact that we all play a role in educating our children. Um, it's not just the job of the public education system. Uh, one of my big passions in Oakland is something called the Oakland Promise. Uh, where we are literally giving newborn babies um, that are born into poverty $500 college savings accounts and financial coaching for their parents. And then there are different supports all the way through different points of people's lives, all the way to having personal mentors for kids that get into college, including community colleges and multi-year scholarships to make sure that kids don't just go to college, they get through college. And that's an investment that we as a city have made uh, in partnership with a lot of philanthropy. Um, so I think that kind of attitude, um, investing in opportunity, investing in things that break intergenerational poverty is part of the question because we need um, higher earners to afford this expensive Bay Area. And then we've got to lower the cost of housing. Uh, there are a lot of things that have uh, increased the cost of living, but nothing compares to what has happened with rents <coughs> in this Bay Area. And we know that that's not just an affordability issue, it's also a supply issue. And we've got to build. Um, Oakland's doing its fair share. We got 
more than 9,300 units of housing under construction. For the first time ever, we actually we built more house, housing in Oakland last year than San Francisco did. Hmm. So we have a final question that I'm gonna prep you on, and then I'm gonna ask you another question, so you'll might as well. Um, just because, yeah, to be fair, you know, there's a little bit of skepticism in the audience bedroom. here. To be fair, you said, hey, I'd like to uh, spend time away from social media, so we'll give you a little bit extra time to think about this. We ask all of our guests as we close out each show, um, who is the follow person, organization that you think everybody that's listening should actually go out and follow? Could be on Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you spend your time. Facebook could be watching the oh, news. that's easy. Me. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Okay, well, next, that next you question. You don't have to answer that yet, but let's talk about you. So when you finish your term as mayor, what do you do next? Um, on, oh, that's such an impolite question. Yeah, right. Um, I honestly have no idea. I really don't. I really don't. Um, I, I, and State what, national politics? The one thing I promise you, and I've, I've worked behind the scene in politics long enough to have seen people that were running for their next job while they were doing their current job not very well. And so I have always promised myself that if I ever had the incredible honor of leading my hometown, the city that I have been madly in love with all my life, like I will cross that finish line in an exhausted heap of gelatinous mess um, <laughs> because I will have just taken every ounce of energy of every cell of my body to try and make my city a better place. And I have no consciousness beyond that very single mission. I'm inspired. I think I'm going to move to Oakland. That's inspirational. <laughs> if that isn't inspirational, I don't know what is. Yeah. Uh, what what been... part? The gelatinous mess part? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's usually me every night on the couch watching Netflix, falling asleep to The Sopranos. <laughs> but, <laughs> so let's pin you down to the social networks that you spend your time on. And yeah, everybody here is going to follow you, obviously. If you're not already, you're going to pull out your phones and do that in a moment. Um, but who should we all be paying attention to? Okay, not Donald Trump. Clearly. Thank you. Gavin Newsom, Kamala Harris. I mean, I think these are two of the boldest leaders um, that I have seen. There are so many politicians that play it safe. And these are two people that um, have courage. And I think we need to support them. Because they, if you go on a politician's social media feed, you will see like the daggers and the yuckiness, like I said, threats to your children's lives. Um, so, so please give people love for, for actually sticking their necks out. Um, Reid Hoffman said to me once, thank you for throwing yourself on the hand grenade of public service. Um, so yeah, I would say Gavin Newsom and Kamala Harris. Okay, I, I just have to ask. Okay, <laughs> I have, I, I'm throwing, throwing another one, okay. Let's just, I'm curious to get your, your technology take now, just as a, okay. So let's just say, and you don't have to say anything bad about Mark Zuckerberg or whether you think he should be running Facebook or not, but let's just say you could put a CEO of Facebook in right now, somebody decides to step aside. Who do you think would be a great CEO of Facebook? What about Jen Polka? Jen Polka uh, is the founder of Code for America. And um, she really believes in the power of technology to transform government to truly be for the people, by the people. And so I think that kind of attitude about the 
both the responsibility and the power of technology is the kind of attitude we want. And I guess my second choice would be Kieran right here. She's amazing. <laughs> what are you now, the COO of Neighborly? And general counsel. Yeah, she's really cool. I would, I would put her in, too. Well, for our listeners, you can't see her, but she looks very impressive, I assure you, and very CEO-like. So Google her after you Kieran listen to Jan, this. Kieran Jan, J-A-I-N. Do, do you have an interesting social media feed? Should we all follow you? Time to get interesting. Okay. <laughs> uh, Mayor Chef, you've been amazing. Thank you so much for spending the evening with us. Oh, no. Thank you for having me. Thank you to The Battery for hosting us. And take care. Love Oakland. So how many of you have listened to the podcast? Nice. So we got maybe about half or a little bit less than half. So everybody that is here that has a phone, which I'm going to guess is everybody, take your phone out. Pop open whatever iTunes, uh, Stitcher, wherever you're listening, Breaker, wherever you're listening to this podcast from, or you want to listen to this podcast from, and do the following. I love Sunil. You guys probably know this that listen to the podcast. I love Sunil so much that every single time we record a podcast, I say to everybody that's a listener, I love Sunil so much that every chance I get, I rate him five stars. And if you that are sitting here in this live audience love Sunil as much as I love Sunil, which I'm just going to assume you all do, please go to that podcast app, find this podcast, rate us five stars, because it actually helps this podcast get even more distribution. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, please, please do. Just hit subscribe. If you uh, if you include a little comment uh, with the uh, with the rating, that's awesome too. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Uh, and yeah, no. And I also I've been using a new player called Breaker, which I really like. So that's that's another one I like. We want to say thank you to Erica uh, from Mozilla. Erica, we can get out and stand up. So Erica uh, worked with the mayor and the mayor's team uh, most recently and made the connection for Sunil and I. So all of this happened tonight because Let, of Let's Erica. just be clear. Erica usually was the one that was telling me about the flaming bags of shit that were coming <laughs> into my window. That was her. Erica's awesome. Uh, a special thank you to Carissa Torres-Cruz, who is here in the audience. She's one of our producers and helps us run the whole podcast. So all the amazing guests that we have on, she helps us organize and run everything. So thank you, Carissa. Uh, we want to thank uh, Elser Restaurant. So actually, you don't know this yet, but you are going to get some food uh, from Elser, which serves empanadas, and is one of my favorite restaurants in San Francisco. Thank you to Marianne Dupre, who might be here. Marianne, are you here? Uh, well, you're going to get amazing food, so, so stand by for that. Uh, very special thank you to Tyler, who is our sound guy. He's over in the corner. What you may not know about Tyler is that he's always sitting in that tiny little hot, sweaty closet with us. And kind of our joke with Tyler is that he's always got a shirt unbuttoned down to his belly button. And tonight he's wearing a jacket. So thank you, Tyler, for the jacket and for being an awesome audio guy. And thanks to the battery, uh, uh, Colleen and Stacy, for, for really helping put this together. Uh, would, you, would you attend another live podcast, just straw poll? Yes? <laughs> Okay, all right. We're working on a we're working on a professional athlete for the next one. Yeah. Stand by.